what is up everyone welcome back to another episode of the panthers nation network i know we're all hanging on by a thread so let's just jump right into it i mean i <laughs> the games against the seahawks are always close and to be fair it was a lot closer than i thought it was going to be absolutely it was definitely closer than what i thought it was going to be uh it's a different type of game but one that i kind of thought we would see i thought we would see more of an open game offensively I just kind of wish you could clean up a few things. I mean, we had a lot of false start penalties. Dude, I don't even know. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things we got to clean up, man. That's, that's, that's the main that I took from it. I mean, but good to see that offense did have some type of life. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll let JB go in a sec. I don't know what type of education they teach at NC State. I thought they were supposed to be, like, the smart school in North Carolina. Or, like, when the engineer. I don't know. Like, that meant I, – I knew – like, it. last few weeks, I'm like, all right, you know, that's just – jitters but last week was just i know it's seattle's his first time playing in seattle i think that's something that people are overlooking a little bit but i mean my god no i am not going to give you a pass i think it was an inexcusable play as of yesterday um i've got a lot of thoughts behind it but really the undisciplined football to me is a real red flag um i know it was his first time being in seahawks with the Seahawks and playing in Seattle. I can understand the noise being a factor, but my understanding is they practice with noise all week. I'm not gonna give them a pass. I just feel like we had the momentum. We could have, we should have won that game for sure. Um, but the the actual penalties almost were a football yard long. I mean, a, a football field long. And that was really the detriment to our entire day. I mean, I think we'll start off with the glaring obvious, you know, it's the, these first quarters. Like, I mean, the, the 10, the, I don't know what's on the 10 sheet, but it seems that it only is about seven plays because we can get to the red zone just fine. You know, we can get out there. And of course, I think there was the one false start off that first drive that did set them back. And it seemed like every single time, that's what made the false start so just jarring is every single time they had the momentum or they needed to make a short yardage play, they needed to be third and five, not third and 10. That's where the false starts came up. Yeah, and this is one of those things where when you come out of false starts and things like that, things like that are so simple. I don't know, if the, is that coaching or is that that just on the players like which one are we putting that on I, I would say it's got to be a mix of both if it were if it were spread out amongst the line a little bit more i would be more inclined to say the coaching but we also know campin is one of the more like sought after offensive line coaches out there if it were more spread around i think there was what one or two that wasn't icky i think this is just we've seen it and, and i don't want to harp on the guy like I, i'm not saying sophomore slump i'm not saying any of that because i don't think that exists in an alignment but it's it's i don't know what it is like it's from because this has been consistent preseason like mini camp i mean he was doing it in training camp like he, he was the only one getting fall stars in training camp so it's something that's just not clicking for him and i don't i don't know what it is out of the 13 penalties eight of them came from false starts that last drive in the fourth quarter where we had two back-to-back -back and like no it was like three back-to-back -back in the same series to my point to me i think there's a real focus issue with icky right now Whatever it is, whether it's him thinking too much, whether it's him not being focused in on the details, whether it's too much going on from an audible perspective, whatever it is, it's something with that focus and it's not clicking. And it's actually starting to rub off on other linemen because it looks like we're trying to overcompensate for what Icky can't do. Not only is he getting blown off the ball, but he's putting us in positions to where, to your point, Jack, we're not getting that, sh that, that third and short that we need. And when we are in those situations, we shoot ourselves in the Achilles every time. And maybe it's something along the lines of like, you know, when you are like, it's one thing to be drafted that high up as an offensive lineman, you know, for a veteran quarterback or anything like that. Maybe there's a little bit more in it about being that anchor, your blindside blocker for now your franchise quarterback. That comes with a lot more added pressure than blocking on that side for, you know, Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield. That's one thing. But now when you have a guy who's undersized, a guy who is your entire, you know, franchise going forward or is supposed to be, maybe some more pressure comes from that and that causes some of the, you know him getting in his own head and that might have been solved with andy going in there but then you go to seattle and that just yeah i, I mean that's I, that's a real possibility at this point we haven't seen him play well with bryce under center again he, and even yesterday I, I don't know man that that performance yesterday this isn't the first time we this team went to seattle last year and play way more efficient football than we Oh, that's right. It was in Seattle last year, it wasn't was, it? It was. Like, so I mean, you can't even get Icky the pass of uh -uh. not being I thought before. maybe you were talking about Zavala. No, I was thinking, I thought it was in Bank of America, to be completely honest. No, no. It, no we, went, we went on the road to Seattle and got that win last year. And to not see this group, I don't know, like bounce back or seem as an efficient, seem as an efficient football team is kind of a, a little troubling, bro. I mean, like that offensive line, you look at the offensive line grades. I saw the PFF grades. I mean, Zavala had a zero pass block yesterday. That's how bad that was yesterday. Icky had like a 24. Icky had like maybe like a 60 in rushing. 
but like it wasn't it wasn't a great day for that offensive line group and you saw it the grades in the film look exactly the same yeah our offensive line um we could talk about this until we're blue in the face we needed to draft much better for our offensive line or even recruit much better for our offensive line for over the last 10 or so years there's this is no secret um i don't know why as an organization we don't deem that position as worthy enough to draft top to go out and pay these guys and get these guys that we need to come in and actually play the game and the ball that we need to play i mean to be 100 percent candid we got a lady that scott fitterer's feet we have no talent on that front line zero I'm going top to bottom. Even if Christian, even if Christensen and Corbett were in there, I still don't see us being able to be a top tier sort of line to protect that Bryce Young in his rookie season. So I disagree with that though, because I mean, before the season started, that was like, all right, that's the one position we're not worried about. We knew Bozeman was going to be kind of rusty coming off, and we didn't know how long it was going to be till Corbett got into the full swing of things. And I really do think that plays a much larger role than we want to give to him. And I know you don't want to scapegoat one guy or put all the, oh, it's just because he's not in. But I mean, especially at that left guard position, because that was the whole thing. You know, having Zavala, I think he played well when he was playing on the right side. I thought he was doing well. And then once Christensen went down and they had to move him over, I think that's where we thought that chemistry that was going to exist just didn't exist. And I don't know if they, you know, we knew that that was where he could play, but I thought he did well in the left spot. But Corbett, I think, just really provided a lot more than we like to say. Corbett and Bozeman. I mean, for all of their, you know, issues of what Fitterer did last year and the last few years, I think those were two signings that were not mistakes and we're not just bargain bin guys. Now, that's not to say that, you know, you putting a lot of trust into Christensen, who was already injury prone and, you know, wasn't even your first choice at that spot. You know, Moten, we know, is solid, and he's, I think, tried to brush away all the, like, oh, he's the least, you know, needed lineman there. He's No, he's performing most consistently out of all of them. So I don't think it's honestly the fact that there's no talent. I think the health is a big issue. And then I think it's almost more of a lack of, chemistry because they haven't had that offseason to get together you think last year would have been a big piece of it and icky would have been fine but i think we're just also disregarding how young icky and brady christensen are you want your you know your top picks to be able to facilitate to assimilate as quickly as possible that doesn't mean it's going to happen yeah no and, and they, were, they were definitely watching the guy i think go through that sophomore stuff but they were still watching the guy that's learning to be to learn to be an elite pass blocker we all knew that coming out with you know we knew he graded out great at guard we knew he was a more of a bona fide run blocker than he was a pass blocker. So, again, when you have an offense that's throwing the ball 58 times yesterday, and a lot of it, dude, because you were so you were so far behind the sticks because of these mental errors with these false starts, you get, you, you get out of what makes them a good group, and, and their best ability as a group is as a run blocking group. Right. Here's my question to the both of you, though. I'll give you what you're saying. Let me, give, let me ask you a question. Name another team that you can think of whose line year over year is lackluster now and has made it far. No, I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there. Patriots been through a rebuild. I don't see much to chagrin about their line. We could talk about the Bengals. They were the Bungles for how long, but it seems like they've been consistent in their line play over time. The Chiefs, who considerably rotate players in and out, don't seem to have an issue with it. So I'm asking, what is it about our organization that we haven't been able to get it right? Even in the year of 2015, our line was not even one of the top ranked lines. So this is an issue from an organizational perspective, is what I'm saying. We've never been able to say our line is going to carry us through, ever. Now, I agree with that point wholeheartedly because for whatever reason, I mean, yeah, you go back even, I'd go past that. I mean, even, you know, the cardiac cats were still rolling with guys that you didn't know who they were. It was, you know, 2003 was probably the last time you had an all pro offensive line with the likes of Garcia and Donnelly and guys of that regard up until that, you know, after that point. And that's, you know, that was instilled by that John Foxian kind of, you know, blue collar offense, that cardiac cats. But you're right. I mean, after that point, once, you know, Jordan Gross and Ryan Clear were the last guards of, you know, the old offensive line. But even then, they were very few and far between. I mean, then you get into, you know, Jeff Otai and, and some of your other guys that, you know, you try to get thinking it would be great. I mean, they definitely have not prioritized the line for a long time in the Rivera era, towards the end of the Fox era, and then throughout the entirety of, you know, this the Tepper era. Same with defensive backs. And when we did, you know, the all-team draft, mm-hmm. we talked about how, oh, we have we have, you know, overflowing with 
with edge rushers and defensive tackles linebackers. and li like we we have no shortage of them we can pick all until the cows come home but when it comes to linemen you're drafting tight ends because you don't have enough actual solid linemen to establish a all-time great list of your offensive lines so no i i agree with you and the same goes for defensive backs it's why for the last probably close to a decade we have as panthers fans have been clamoring for hey help us out on the offensive line help us on the defensive backs and then but then i also think that creates that vacuum like i call i'll call it the dante jackson effect where finally thank no listen just stop it you're like, finally, thank God we've drafted this guy. So that means he's going to be good. He's going to ball out because we finally prioritized this position. So if we've waited so long to prioritize the position, they must be they, really, they, they must be worth it. Right. Clearly, that's not the case. I mean, when you saw him get burned by, oh, who was it? Um, that, that, like, that should be on his tombstone. That, that's it. I'm going to keep it hot, though. I like Jake Bowman, bro. I, because I paid attention to UCLA last year. He played alongside DCR. He was DCR's number one receiver. Now, again, should that have happened to Dante Jackson? No. No. Like, I don't even care if he thought did that was I get, No, wait, 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 wait. Did I go in and text you? Te you uh, you immediately not. texted. I, w I was watching back. Like, I missed it in, in real time. But then I was watching, the, the, you know, the full replay. I record Because you record on YouTube TV, which is nice. That's the one nice thing. But so I was watching the full replay. And I was thinking in my head, like, I saw it happen. And I'm like, yeah, he definitely texted at that exact moment. And I don't care if you think there's OPI or whatever. You don't let that happen to you. Like, I do not understand how that... And then it happened to... And then... Or Jeremy Chin getting burned by Kenneth Walker. That one was brutal, too. That one was really gross. Yeah, I think... I think Jeremy Chin, you know, since we're talking about the defense, I think Jeremy Chin is somewhat confused of what his role is. I would be. He's not He's not being consistently used in, in, a, in a situation where he's going to be successful. I mean, he's making plays for us. Don't get me wrong, but I think for him, you have to give him the identity of what you want him to be, and he doesn't have that right now. He's like a Roman nomad, right? He's moving around the field. He's playing the nickel sometimes. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's playing at the corner. You know, he's just all over the place. And for him, I think for him, he's need to, he needs to find a rhythm. He played pretty well yesterday, but to your point, Kenneth Walker gave him work. But we're going to talk about that backup running back. What is it, Charbonnet? He gave our whole defense work late, the UCLA late in the uh, late in the second half. Uh, they're telling you, it's, you think about the type of running backs that kind of did us in the last last few weeks. Tyler Azier, he was a BYU guy, another one of those West Coast guys. Charbonnet, again, a UCLA guy, another one of those another one of those West Coast guys. And you start to see, bro, like anybody can run on us at any point in time. Like teams decide they really want to be, it's really time to go win the game against Carolina. You just run the ball. Cam Akers will have a career resurgent next week. He will. Cam Akers will be. People will wonder why the Rams let him go when he comes to Minnesota in the purple and gold and he's going to run all over our turf. I mean, it happens. I can't count on my fingers the amount of times it happened. Most notably and most, you know, like recently, obviously Tyler Algier, you know, he was putting up numbers more than Bijan Robinson in that game. You know, Tony, uh, what is it? Tony, Tony Jones. We got him. We got him a paycheck. We got him a paycheck and a contract. How about how he did in that game? You feel me? It's like, that's probably been the, been the most disappointing thing about this defense so far is that I don't see us, look any, we don't look physical at all in the run game. Like, I, I don't, I see us getting pushed around. I see us, I mean, we were flying, we're flying off of guys. I know, like, nobody has any type of sense of physicality when they come up and make tackles. Like, I don't know what it is. We don't seem to have that type of hump that well, we've known this defense to have in years past. I'll tell you what it is. It's that we had Fat Rule tell us we needed to get running back, run-stopping linebackers, but then set, sign and pick up these weird two-way guys. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Frankie. I love Camus. I love, you know, these guys that we've gotten on this team. And they do what they do well, they do well. They're not run-stopping linebackers. I mean, it's gotten to the point where Justin Houston is probably our best run-stopping linebacker. And, and and thank God for Justin Houston and Deion Jones. They look like the most consistent pieces of our of our linebacking core last week. I mean, you know, Frankie. And I know. I know no, no, I was going to say, I know we're trying to talk about it, but we haven't been able to plug that hole since Luke Kuechly. And I think for some reason we're still holding on to we're going to find that one. There is no other one like him. Shaq Thompson, I think we're really realizing how much we miss him being in there as a general. Um, I think that we're missing that part as well. I think the young guys are looking for that. Louvu's going to feel it. But everybody, to your point earlier, Jack, the injury bug is our biggest, biggest, biggest opponent as well, besides us shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, you know, you look at the defensive side of the ball. Mingo's in protocol, uh, concussion protocol now. You got 
He got burns. I don't know if y'all noticed. Was limping. Yeah. He's like, been he's been limping quarter. for the. I mean, like he has not been healthy, and I know he wants to play to facilitate, and he's doing it well to say, look at he's at least making. He's good for at least one or two big plays. Yeah. But he's not 100. percent And I really want them right. to pay him so that he can then honestly take a day off, take a week off, yeah. hold him back after you've paid him. Yeah. But these are these are the issues that I think we're going to see persist. Also with that. Dante Jackson our secondary did pretty well yesterday I'm not going to say they did the best they did pretty well yesterday um, I was really happy with Hill the way he played yeah. played He's been deep good. on those balls he really, he really saved us a lot what's my man Franklin he did he did some he good he did good work yesterday that was one of the cleanest PBUs yeah. I've seen in a while Yeah, I, very, I was very shocked to see how well he played yesterday so was very very happy overall with the defensive play but of course you already knew the text message said it all as soon as it happened. It happens every game. I can't wait to see what Justin Jefferson does to Dante Jackson next week. Because it's going to be ugly. And then we're not even going to talk about Miami yet because I'm not even ready to see them hang 100 on us. Yeah. So these are, these are the upcoming games that we have to look forward to. And this defense, even though we, have, we don't do them any favors by keeping them on the field way too long. I mean, by the time we get to the third and fourth quarter, these guys are gas. But I, I, I can't even get the defense that excuse yesterday. I mean, besides the injuries, the injuries are a big part yeah. of what happened yesterday. But you did have an offense that was able to put up points. You had opportunities to, you know, if you oh, are sure. a good defensive group, you'll get a stop, right? You'll, you'll get stops in certain spots. Just didn't do it. Like you just And you just, like, it, a lot of the passing plays that you saw from Seattle yesterday, like I said, our secondary did play well. There was no pressure on, on Geno Smith a lot of times in that second half. There wasn't the, uh, and that's right there. In the second half, I don't understand what changes. Like the first half, we were all over Geno Smith, causing you're 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 forcing turnovers. You got him on the ground. You got, and I'll tell you who's really been just capitalizing on all the anarchy, is Yachargros Matos. Again, he was all over the field, and I'm like, what is happening right now? I don't know if it's and if it's just a lack of you know needing to care about it. So it's like, oh hey, now he's doing well. But then I just I don't understand, and 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 I, and it. From Avera, what what changes if they're getting out schemed? But it doesn't seem like they're doing that much differently from a blocking standpoint. You know, they're not they weren't double teaming anybody. They weren't switching up their formations. Yeah, but if you look at the last three games, the shift from the first half to the second half, every team comes out and they pound it down our throats. So to the point of the running, right, the running defense, right, that's the weakness. So they know it. So they start the second half pounding it down our throats. So by the time we're going three and out. The defense is on the field 90% of the time. So by the time you get to those minutes that we really need them to show up and show out like they did in the first half, they've been beat up. We haven't figured out the run defense, which I don't know what Averro's going to do about that. I don't know how he's going to scheme against that because teams now know the formula. It's not going to get easier. It's only going to get worse. And we've got some real running teams coming up on our radar. That's what we said last week. You know, they've got – we told we, – we gave it away last week. You know, they just low they, – they've – boost up the run make you come down and then bite you in the ass because they know that then they can take a shot deep and then on the other side of the ball defensively because we said that on offense right on offense you can scheme easily on defense but you know they're not going to throw anything deep so you can just send the house that's all that's going to happen and same thing on defense they know that we're going to send the blitz in the first half and they keep they kept baiting us like just like i said get let them get a couple sacks in the first half because then when that second half comes around they're not going to be able to stop the run and someone's going to be injured or someone's not going to be able to take care of that offense and your wide receivers. I mean, it happens all the time. And so I think that's the, also the more aggravating part about the defense, especially outside of some glaring, you know, discrepancies is what we were worried about, about this defense coming into the year was the depth. We were worried the depth wasn't going to be able to perform. Now we're seeing the depth can play, but they're having to play in starting capacities, which. Right. Like if I had, like, like for example, Troy Hill, right. If, if I have JC Horn, and I don't have to play Troy Hill this much. It's perfect. It's perfect. Because I think he he's played really well. He's a, you know, very much a savvy veteran. Um, but then having to go to guys like a Sam Franklin who are having to play a lot of men's now. He just you just don't have the horses for it, bro. Yeah, I mean we knew we didn't have the depth and it but it's, it just really speaks to again our good buddy Scott. We have we've not hit on anything in the draft past the first two rounds. Right. Well first two or three, maybe, depending yeah. on the year. And this and the lack of 
you know, cutting all of these guys like a Davion Nixon, you know, cut, you know, cutting off so, cutting off so many of these guys in previous drafts, man, and not having anything left. Like you have nothing left. You have no contributions from the guys you drafted, and that's very telling right now for for a GM that everybody has been willing to keep and willing to give a chance to. Yeah, I had a conversation uh, with my best friend today, and, and him and I go through our Monday quarterback, if you will. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I drank the Kool-Aid too early when it came to Scott Fitter, right? I think we all gave him credit of the moves he made for the cap purposes, right? Getting us out of meet that, underneath that cap hell, trying to right-size the Brooks, trying to give us money to be able to go out and get some of these names, some of these veterans, bringing in some people that could come help out. But overall, to your point, Shantese, I'm in total agreement with you. What has he done? There have been no big splashes other than what he did with DJ Moore and Bryce Young. And we're seeing how that's panning out. Because right now, Chicago's going to have the number one and the number two pick next year, right? Because of us, right? So that's what we're sitting. Think about that as we start going through the season. And I literally was very candid with him today. I said, you know, I could actually see us going into the bye week with not a win. Quite easily. Mm-hmm. Quite easily. Like, like, seriously, going into the half of the year, over half the year, with zero wins. So does that lay at the feet of a Frank Wright, which we're all getting used to this new coaching staff? Or does that truly lay at the feet of the front office of a Scott Federer and the scouting team around him and nobody really doing the work to bring in the talent that we need to come back up these, you know, our injury-prone situations that we're having right now? You know, luckily, with J.C. going down, we're kind of prepared for that. We kind of probably thought in the back of our minds, J.C.'s not going to play a full season. So we brought in help for that reason. We have not done that on the offensive side of the ball. With Christensen being out already, I'm sorry, Corbett being out at the beginning and Christensen being out, you know, now we're kind of trying to mend these, mend these with, with, with small patches and we're not getting anywhere fast. You know, we go out and we sign a Tariq Cohen. We go out and we sign another receiver. We go out and we sign another uh, returner. Why haven't we gone out and signed another lineman? Which, Why have we not gone out to, you know, these are the questions that Scott needs to answer. Which I'm like, you, every, and it's happened the last two weeks. Y'all mentioned Tariq Cohen, and I completely forgot that he's a part of this roster. Yeah. I, Isaiah Smith-Marset, or, or Shmir Smith-Marset, yeah. forgot that he was on the roster. Oh, no, he's out there. He's just not doing anything. I, exactly. He's, he's got to stop fielding these punts. I, I'm getting tired of it. I really, we drafted, we, we traded away real draft capital for that man. We really I, did. Like, we, like, I need people to understand. We traded away real draft picks for him. So I mean, for him not to be able to wait, well, he can't play receiver because they have. I haven't seen him out there except for like on a, like a hell mary situation. Um, he can't field punts. I don't know what exactly he's supposed to be here to do. I mean, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong when when we traded for him and they started showing me college highlights. That's yep. Like y'all, y'all, y'all. Flip. That's an issue. That's a big <laughs> issue. And we pick up that guy from Indianapolis, the uh, the wide receiver, and there's no reason for that. Like, and he was actually getting minutes in in Indianapolis, and he, I mean, that was another maybe Frank Reichism. But I think the one thing that has kind of been kind of jarring because you talk about Scott Fitter and kind of drinking the Kool Aid too quickly, and that's honestly because again we were so desperate for competent a competent GM after getting just kind of the you know sidelined with the retiree. Again, for no reason whatsoever. There was no reason for him to come back into the building, but again, we got him. And I feel like this is just all of us, like, you, you hear, you know, from like, and I'm not going to put it in that level this quickly, but you hear, you know, from Lions fans or from, you know, from uh, Commanders fans, you hear from, from like Bears fans about how upset they are with ownership, how tired they are of their ownership. As Panther fans, we've only ever known one owner. We've never had to go through, okay, this is what like the team was under this owner. This is what the team was under this owner and been able to compare it. We had nothing to compare it to. And then you come in with this businessman who, what's a key thing for, you know, a business that's just trying to stay afloat is getting them so desperate for this thing and then bringing them something that looks like it's going to be it. And then it's not. So then you just keep the cycle going. And I feel like this is happening constantly. I'm like, I wonder what Tepper's legacy is going to be like, you know, 10 years down the road. He fires Ron Rivera. And what was it? I think 15 and 76 or something like that in the span of the time. 17 and 40. 17 and 40. I knew that number was too high. Thank you. 17 and 40 in the time frame since he's been fired. I'm not saying it was not wrong to fire him. We, I mean, we were recording. We just all thought that every time we went through a hiring cycle with David Tepper, we thought we thought one thing, we got something totally different. Yeah. Like, I didn't yeah. think Matt Rule when we first fired Ron Rivera. I definitely didn't think Frank Wright no. when we first when we fired when we you know when we moved on from that rule. Um, 
we was always going to, on the opposite direction. Like we wanted an offensive minded coach. Well, I think all of us thought, oh, young offensive mind is where you should, you should probably go, right? We didn't think, yeah. you know, you know, OG that just got fired. Like I, I don't, I didn't think that was probably the way to go. And you start looking at the new young offensive minds. They're having success early on with their squads. Their, their, their squads look better. They're playing with a lot more pop, and they're at least they have at least a win or two wins by now. The retread guys like Sean Payton, Frank Reich, zero and three. I mean, the most obvious example yeah. of it was that Dolphins Broncos game. You got you know Mike McDaniel's, who nobody was looking at, not a, not even his own team that he was uh, you know on that staff. And obviously, it was a year out of our cycle, but like that's where it's so upsetting. We're like this Mike McDaniel guy is a diamond in the rough. Now he's putting up seventy points in a football game just calling plays willy-nilly to the point where Robbie Chosen, Chosen Anderson, Robbie, whatever his name is, is actually contributing to that offense and putting up points. And we're, we're going, like you said, these blue, you know, these blue cow guys that aren't up to snuff or we're going at, you know, the guys we go after that you never heard of. Because we always keep saying that too when it comes to player standpoint too. Why are these players that, you know, are just diamonds in the rough? Why do we never hit on these guys? Man, I'm watching. I'm, I'm you ready? Watching you ready? You ready? You ready for my synopsis of this? Four years ago, we had the guy in the building and we let him walk out. I'm going to say it again. Four years ago, we had the guy in the building and we let him walk out the building. And if you look at the offense he's coordinating now, they're balling. I know it didn't look like it on Sunday. <laughs> they're balling. They're balling, though. They're balling. Like Sam Howell looks good in that offense. The plays that they're calling, the schemes that they're calling, everything that they're using, because he understands the offense and what they have at play. I just want to put this thought in your mind. I had this conversation along with my Monday quarterback with my boy. Do you think the way Tep is conducting business in the Carolinas, from the football team to the football to the soccer teams, do you think he's making a case because people aren't going to be in the door? He's already burned bridges with the powers that be to get the stadium done that we need to in order to get a Super Bowl in the Carolinas. Do you think he's making a play or to size it up to be able to move the team? I've always I thought about that last night and I've been thinking about it more over today and he can make a legitimate argument that look nobody's coming to the games I'm losing money X Y and Z not thinking about the product he's putting on the field right just simply from a business standpoint to your point Jack right he's showing a loss in the red since he took over this team so for him he can make a case to move the team what are you guys thoughts about that I've always thought that was a a possibility with uh, David Zephyr I I, I as soon as you brought an outside guy in, a guy that, you know, one, he's a business guy. So as soon as I hear business guy, I'm thinking, oh, this, oh, this dude is shiesty, but he gonna, he'll, he'll do something. The, you know, if, if, it, if it makes money, if it, if it makes money, it makes sense for him. And if he can get this team moved, then yeah, that, that, that absolutely. Bringing in the soccer team, which again, I think is good for the, good for the city, but I could definitely see him definitely looking at other other destinations out here. There's other destination cities that you can take all, all of this to. And it still and it still works just fine. It'll still make a lot of money. But yeah, I've I've always had that in the back of my mind. I just don't know how he would. I mean, like you said, he. I'm he thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of expansion. I'm thinking of expansion overseas. Like once we actually pull the trigger on the overseas teams, he ponying up the Panthers to be one of those franchises to go. That's a possibility. I think us in Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville for sure. Yep. They're like the team. I know. They, I think we kind of all feel that's going. But us, us being in that mix, bro, is not is not too far in the question. I think that what about you? I think definitely like in terms of relocation in the United States I don't think it would happen um, and I think it's solely because of the soccer team I think if the soccer team like that did show commitment to the city that was like a, an idea that was always there but never had any traction until he got here and now if you they're under the same umbrella so now if you move the Panthers you have to move the soccer team too. the soccer the soccer team's not going to stay because it's under the same umbrella in terms of how he owns it, what he's going to do with it. Like, I don't think he would go hand in and foot in to do so. They're not going to let that stadium just be for a soccer team. So I think that that would, but that being said, there's, if there's ever a place that would, you know, is always looking for soccer teams of any standpoint, you could move those players, move those assets to Europe in regard to something like that. But like I said, outside of, you know, that kind of stuff, I feel, I don't know. I feel like had he just come in, like, done all this stuff not worried about like the looks of it the off the field you know product you know the 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 different fan experiences trying to update the team a bit more you know the hall of honor stuff like that i i think that that made me a bit more confident that he wasn't going to do something like that now that could be for worse because that means he's actually committed to the team and he's not we're not going to get rid of him anytime soon 
but I think that he actually is. You know, I think that you don't see very many times where, you know, whether it was for show or not, you don't see very many times where the owner, other than Jerry Jones, is in, you know, the fan tailgates that first game of the year. Like that, when, when, he, when he first did that, I was like, okay, regardless of what he does as a football mind, I feel like you can really tell that he does want to be a part of this community. Um, being obviously a business guy from Pittsburgh, I was always very wary of him. Um, but I do think that if there's one thing that he does seem to do well or he does prioritize it is the community aspect like the rock hill stuff i think that he just didn't handle he handled like a big city kind of business thing and i don't think he understood what rock hill was and what kind of environment he was getting into when he tried but that's why he had more, but, but that's why he had marty herney in the um that's why he had marty herney um in the beginning right marty herney that's why we you talked about marty herney being you know why do we bring him back in the building I'm a soul and, and, and I'm a soul believer in the fact that he had Marty Herney come in strictly to help him bridge those gaps with the businesses to try to see the next steps of bringing in the soccer team, what it looks like building a new facility, all of those things, right? I think I think that Marty Herney had those ties and was able to help him facilitate that bridge, right? But it didn't go well at the end of the day. He went and tried to get the cities to buy in, give him tax breaks, give him money, and it didn't work. So now it's almost like he's, there's a temper tantrum, and in, and, and in doing so, the fans are suffering because the product on the field, bar none, is much worse than what it was last year. I, if Marty Herney knows how to tie his own shoes at this point, I'll be shocked. I swear to God. I, there's from no, a business standpoint, Dad, I, I don't think so either. Point, no, you can't. I think the only reason that he brought Marty Herney in is because he, when talking to Richardson, saying, you know, I, like, I need to clear house. I'm not sure how to go about doing so. Who do I need to bring in? You know, what do I need to do? Should I keep this? Richardson was like, keep him around. I mean, Richardson was known to be friends with Marty Herney. That was a thing that had, that's why he came back for that interim position. I don't think Herney had anything to do with the, in terms of like FC or anything outside of the Panthers. I think all he was there to do was to write, was to sign blindly for Tepper too. I'm not saying that Tepper did smart things. I'm saying Tepper did stupid things in that regard. I don't think Herney had anything to do with it. But regardless, I think that, like, yeah, the Panthers are, the product is, is dwindling, I'd say, in terms of the, he's, he's put these flashy changes in, you know, in the stadium, you know, putting in the, the new boxes, putting in, you know, there's still some discrepancies, like, you know, some of those TVs aren't on, some of the food's gone down. But then, like, the FC, as up and down as they are, they make money. And they make they make more money than they than they cost. Oh, yeah. So he's not in oh, the yeah. red in terms of the, of the FC. But I, I don't see him pulling away from the team, honestly. Like, I mean, obviously, I wasn't alive. Uh, and Shanti's wasn't either. But you might remember at least, you know, what the environment was in Charlotte when, you know, the Hornets got pulled out. And I don't think it's something similar. Oh, it was it was bad. Yeah. It was I, really bad. And and it was bad for different reasons and beforehand and because it was kind of like an out-of-a-nowhere situation. Um, and that was a really more kind of selfishly motivated thing. I don't think Tepper kind of aligns in that direction because, you know – of where he came from, honestly, coming from that Pittsburgh background, that Steelers background, I think does lead a lot into that kind of loyalty. That doesn't mean he's a smart football mind. And I think that that's been his biggest issue is that Fitterer also kind of operates like a businessman. I think that's been our biggest thing is a lot of us have thought, oh, he's both a businessman and he's got a football mind. The more of these moves he makes, I'm like, all right, these are better business decisions than they are football decisions. We're not keying in on, like you said, these guys that everyone else is getting that are diamonds in the rough, no one knows about. You know that we're not hitting on. I'm starting to think, realize that I think Fitter is more of just this business guy than he's a football mind. And I think another thing too about Scott is that look, you like we talk about. You know, we talk down about Marty Herney a lot. You know, and 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 rightfully so for some of the things. But I look at a lot of draft picks Marty Herney Marty Herney has made. Bro, his guys stick. So they can stick in this league. Yeah. They stick around the team. The guys Scott has picked. These guys are not getting picked up by anybody. Mm-hmm. They're not playing. Right. They're practice squad they're everywhere pra- else. They're, they're practice squad everywhere else. Everywhere else they go, they're practice squad. So, I mean, again, you got to ask yourself, like, I think what made Scott, you know, a fan favorite pretty quickly was that he was active. And that's the one thing we always knew we didn't have in Carolina. Oh, sure. We didn't have an active GM. We, but it's a difference between having motion and making progress. See, he just he's just a guy that just has motion. He'll just do things just for the sake of doing things. And we think, oh, this is good. We, so we trade away this fifth-round pick in two years from now. Oh, so it, this must be a good move. It does nothing. We end up needing that fifth-round pick later, and we end up having to make another trade to get, just to go get it back. At least with progress with, with Marty Herney, yeah, okay, he isn't the greatest maybe rounds four through seven, but he'll at least draft a, Kurt, a Curtis Samuel. He'll at least draft a DJ Moore. 
He'll at least draft yeah. Christian McCaffrey. He'll at least put some type of weaponry around it actually makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Where you look at even Gettleman. Gettleman made a whole lot of moves that didn't make sense. Like the guys that have played and stuck around for, for, the, for the Carolina Panthers, even on this squad right here. Ryan Burns is a Marty Herney pick. Yeah. Dante Jackson is a Marty Herney pick. All of these guys are Herney guys, are, are guys. I'm like, bro, Scott Fitter just isn't a NFL caliber GM, bro. He's just not cut out for the job. Well, I think, I think that's part of it. And I think, too, if you look at who Marty Herney had around him as far as scouting, right? He had one of the top scouting scouting teams in the business um you know you look at i'll say it again you know you look at panthers north brian bean should have never left our building i mean he's he he was he was our homegrown person he was in our scouting room so i think that's another part of it to who does scott have around him in those positions to be giving him good feedback on who we're trying to draft are we just looking at the glamour and glitz of a name right not really doing the digestive part of how does this player really fit into our organization? How does this player really fit the scheme that we want to run long term? And who is this player long term wise as far as durability, his knowledge of the game, and how he fits, you know, culturally with us? So there's a lot of, I'm not going to say blame, there's a lot of fingers that we could point, but it does start at that front office because they signed the checks and they're the ones who are going out and saying, hey, this guy's going to make a difference for our team. And what we've come to find is some of them are coming to fruition, like your tour. I think we were all down on your tour last year, and it seems like he's coming around to come into his own this year. Didn't know about a Frankie Louvre. Lord knows, thank God we got him wherever he came from. I do like his play and his angst about the game, his oomph about the game. You know, Brian Burns was a no-brainer. I mean, he, he came from a top-tier school. He was a baller there. He was in our he was in our purview, and we needed him in that position slot. The same with J.C. Horn. His pedigree alone speaks for itself. McCaffrey the same. Um, we have not found a dominant ref in quite some time, and it's going to come down to Tepper's going to have to make a decision. He's going to have to make a decision this year on Scott Fitter. So, if any bright spots, if I will say, I, I think that two players at least did show. You know, we sh we saw why we got Andy Dalton. Mm -hmm. That was that was seen. DJ Chark finally looked like the guy that we were wanting him to be. We needed a little bit more, but at least showed the flashes of he can be that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, making two big. He's that big play guy like they talked about. And same with Adam Thielen. They say what you want about his. His being on the roster, he's proving why. I mean, he's got a couple great catches under his belt. You know, that touchdown will be too little too late. And then I would say when the blocking when blocking is, is in tip-top shape, Miles Sanders at least looks like he can get some yards, but only when the blocks are all completely right. Yeah. I mean, uh, Thielen's been, been the best signing so far, I'd probably say. Yeah. Like, he's been the most consistent, even with Bryce and definitely with Andy Dalton. Like, he's been the one guy that we could rely on, which we all thought he would be coming into the year. Uh, Chark, um, Chark, he had, a, he had a nice day, right? Yeah. That's fine, we don't need it. That's fine. As long as it doesn't stop the recording. Yeah, good. I guess I didn't think about that respect. So I guess I make sure it deletes off of it. I, it shouldn't be, but it, it doesn't show up. It didn't show up last time, did it? No, I don't think it did. I did. But yeah, okay. Sorry. It's still recording. Keep going. Facts. Um, but DJ Chark, I mean, even against, but against Devin Witherspoon, you talk about like Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant were both out. So I do, as I, so I think we do have to think about like, hey, look, this was That's against, true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. a very porous secondary. Like that was my whole thing going into this game. Like, okay, this needs to be the game where you have big, have a big day, and you did. So the script went as planned. You just didn't, you know, you know, you just didn't um, score enough. No. <laughs> and now, like JB, you're talking about it in terms of you know where we're going to kind of need to find these wins. I mean, this this game right here is the Vikings have shown they can lose to less than average teams. And so, like, you have to show it here. And you have to go, okay, we can actually get a win here against the Vikings because this is one of your few yeah, spots yeah. going forward that you're going to be able to get a win. This is a make or break. Um, you know, this is this game is more pivotal than we wanted it to be. Shantice, we talked about at the beginning of the year, we can't go 0-3 out of the first three games or 0-4 out of the first four. We're teetering on going 0-4. I'm glad that the game is at home. I'm glad that Thielen's going to probably be up and pumped for this game to really show out um, for sure. Um, I'm hoping we start Andy Dalton. I want Bryce to sit one more week. I think Bryce learned a lot watching Andy Dalton on Sunday. You can see him on the sidelines digesting it, having conversations. So I think that that's going to benefit him much more. Um, I want to heart back on Miles Sanders. The one thing that is surprising me about Miles Sanders is he doesn't show a burst of speed to me. He's he's much more of he a does. methodical runner. I like Chuba Hubbard in that position. Chuba comes out comes out comes out the blocks, busts and seams. 
Um, every time he got in the game, whether it was tough yardage, whether it was easy yardage, I think Chuba was averaging three to four yards a carry by himself, right? And so for me, if I'm Frank Reich and I'm looking at this, and I know you signed Miles and that's a deuces guy and all of that, you got to put Chuba much more active in this offense. And for some odd reason, you only did the Chenault thing once and it worked a bit. I don't know why we didn't go back to repeat it, at least go to the other side. Or even put put Chenault in as a receiver to get some of these cross the middle routes to help Thielen out, so that's not always concentrated on Thielen coming out. And we need to talk about your boy Marshall before we get off this call tonight, because where is he? Oh, Somebody talk to me. Where I is know. he? I'm willing. To, you know, we said this a while ago. It's not like me and this guy were all were ever really the biggest fans of Terrence Marshall and Scarlett. Now I think he can play. I don't know what's happened or. Like, this is bad, bro. Like, he just does not look playable out there. No. But neither, but uh, but truthfully and honestly, neither does Mingo. He, like Mingo right now, he's still he's still he's a rookie, so he's you know he's, still he's a rookie though, Shantice. I mean he's a rookie. I think he was looking fine play. until the concussion. I mean, yeah, me too. I, I don't think he was playing. What we he's not gonna he's not he at least not this year. He's not gonna be, be DK Mac. For this to be the guy, Smitty put his arm around, bro. I'm I'm looking at Smitty again, like bro, like this is like what's going on. Because I mean, you look at. The receivers that have been left at that point, I don't think there's anybody. Well, really- Tank Dale went right after Johnson. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that. Like we end up, we we got high on Mingo late, but I looked at Tank Dale very early last year. I'm like, yeah, that's a guy you go get if he's gonna sit there that long. And again, I, I'm I, I don't want to jump but, on Mingo, bro. But it's like, but it's like you you look at what you need, and is is Mingo what you need? And it's also worse, though, to see, like, you had C.J. Stroud and Tank, and you had the ability for both, and you went for Bryce Young and Mingo instead, and then you see both of them balling out together. Right. It looks bad from, like, the, because people are pushing the narrative now. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, no, look at when, like, that was one of our biggest things, especially out of that draft, that second, you know, that, that second, you know, fitter year, second rule year was okay, hold on. Like, you said the whole time, we, we offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. And we didn't need a receiver at that point in time. It, it made no sense when we drafted him. It made zero to no sense. He still had DJ. You still had Curtis Samuel, to be, if I'm not mistaken. I think he had not hit the bricks yet. No. You're talking about Mingo? You but, you you yeah. Uh, it was the same year as Christensen. Curtis had, we, Curtis, we gave Curtis to be. We didn't resign Curtis. We did. So that's we right. We a contract year. We had grabbed Robbie Anderson to that point. Yep. Um, but again, like you said, I, I mean, we, we knew that it was going to be DJ and Robbie being the one and the two. Terrence would have to be the three. Um, but then, but but I mean, again, it shouldn't be no surprise. Terrence struggled with the last coaching staff as far as getting playing time, too. Like, he, but here's he struggled at LSU getting playing time. Exactly. Right, right. But here's the, but here's the, here's the part with Terrence, right? If you're going to trade away DJ and you want to make Terrence that guy, what did you see in him that made you think he was that guy? Because honestly, you could have packaged him up and probably got a late third. Well, and that's what I'm saying is that, you know, this could be like that level of like, you know, your John Robinson in Tennessee where, you know, the deal to get rid of A.J. Brown for what they thought was going to happen ended up being, the na- you know, the, the nail in the coffin. And we kept talking about it. If you really thought that this is what you wanted to do and you wanted to make this jump for Bryce and you send away your top receiver to do so instead of Brian Burns, who now you are going, you're still on the seesaw about paying. It's like, okay, this could be like, if, if like what you said happens, and if the Bears get the one and the two, I mean that—that's got to be it for Federer, right? Like that's. Oh, oh yeah, it's a wrap. There's a good chance, and I'm not. And depending on how bad this looks, I mean, we saw Nathaniel have to get this treatment in Denver last year. There's a good chance that if this thing doesn't look like something that's moving in the right direction, that you do end up canning um, Frank Wright at the end of the year. Now I'm not hoping for that. I'm hoping we can get we can get this thing turned around. We can get this thing, you know, we can write the ship and, and rectify some things. But I want this to look confident at some point. I want this to look right. But right now, um, it, again, if it if it's not looking better than this by the end of the year, you got to start thinking about um, you got to start thinking about some of the guys that are going to be in this coaching cycle, like a Ben Johnson out of, out of Detroit. Like you can't. I don't know if you can let him hit hit the street and not have him in the building at some point. You know. So. Wait, wait, so hold on, hold on. You're talking about Ben Johnson's coming in as what? For head coach candidate. Well, she was on, if I'm not mistaken. Right. If, if I'm not mistaken, right. he was in yeah, our head coaching. Yes. 
We he declined it. He yeah, declined that's it. what it was. Yeah, he declined it. He declined it. He declined it. So I got I got another thing, Chantice. You made a great point today, and I didn't like when you said it, but I thought about <laughs> it, and it makes a it makes a lot of sense. If this thing doesn't go right, and we're and we're tied to right the way I think Tepper is, because he ain't trying to spend no more money, and he already got to pay Jewel. Um, you trade Brian Burns for a first round pick. I didn't like when you said it. I really wanted to cuss you out, but it was too early in the morning and I hadn't had my coffee yet. Then after I had my coffee, I thought about what you said. And if we get to week 10, week 11, week 12, and we're sitting there and we don't look like we don't have a first round pick and we could actually be in the top five for drafting, you would trade Burns to get a first round pick. Yeah, I mean, trading Burns for the first round pick, I just look at, we've seen- I'm just saying. I, look, already fans are already being like, woe is us for getting rid of McCaffrey when all the while they were the ones screaming to get rid of McCaffrey in the first place. I, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of just sending these guys away, hoping it gets us this reset we keep looking for. What did we get for McCaffrey? Uh, what did that get us? It got back. It got back some of your, it got back some of your draft capital. The, the issue is not that what, what it got back. You got back the right amount of capital. You just have the wrong GM pick making the pick. So that's what I'm saying. So what would getting a first rounder? I'm saying you got to fire everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Was, I mean, Shanti, I'm with you. I'm with you. We, we, we tried it. We tried it again. We, we, we refused to go on a full reset. We keep trying to keep certain guys around from other regimes. Like what? Like nobody from the re, from the previous regime that picked that traded for Sam Donald and Baker Mayfield should still be in the building. I would agree with that. Like that's the yeah, yeah, like, but, yeah. but again, there are a group of, there are a group of people, and they're not to blame for this because they're not the ones making the decisions. But like there are people that still believe that Scott, you know, we gotta give Scott time. Like no, you no, you don't. You unfortunately, no. where people lose jobs all the time because of somebody else. Yeah, he'll be another one. He'll be fine. Yeah. But let me be clear though. Let me be clear. But you need to get everybody out of that building and start totally anew. Um, because I just haven't liked anything those guys have done. I, I can like in theory, the things they've done have, have been good, right? Like, you know, being active and this that, that, but you haven't done anything of substance that's netted you any return. So right now, I mean, we got the wrong guy making picks. We're trade we're having to trade away star players. So right now we're just kind of stuck in limbo. Uh, I, I, truthfully and honestly, bro, you gotta you gotta just rip the bandit off and just go and just reset this thing from the from from top to bottom. You're gonna have to get rid of guys that are gonna be due for contracts that won't be worth the money that we're gonna pay them because we won't be any good. But let me be clear, I don't want that to happen. I was just playing devil's advocate of what yeah. you texted. We should have signed Burns three weeks ago. We should have. This is this is this is crazy. But I thought about what you said. The only reason I brought that up is because what you were saying about the coaching staff. I doubt we cut ties with Wright this early. I would love to cut ties with Wright right now, um, but we, we're not going to do it. We're not. Gonna. I would like to see Thomas Brown actually get a chance to spin the ball. I think I think that's what needs to happen instead of cutting ties with Wright so early on. I think he needs to let loose the reins a little bit and see what Thomas Brown can do. I think that you know while I, I say that also going both ways about it like i also would maybe like to see that not happen so then he's not so sought after as an offensive coordinator you know or head coach you know already on because we know avero's gone for the issues that we have had avero has been able to scheme very well in certain aspects he still has a problem with finishing games but that could be you know attributed to either health stamina being on the field as long as we have to be like there's different instances for that but as far as the play calling i mean this week was the first time Heck, it was the first time we, we took a shot downfield, you know, to DJ Chark and made a beautiful move on it. You know, we've, we've pressed it in different regards. and But then you still have the issue of, like, the, what lost the Seahawks game, in my opinion, was go, having to net a field goal after that pick. You could have turned the game around had you gotten seven points off of that pick. It was a great play by Deion Jones, who now needs to be – now has to be starting every week, you would right. imagine. He, he's got he, – there's no way with, – with, you know, Frankie Luva being out for however long, we don't know. With Shaq being out, you know – Deion Jones has to have a roster spot, but, and then looking at Minnesota, I mean, like Minnesota, all these games have been, and you know, at least for Seattle or, you know, Seattle was, and the games going forward are continue to be, you know, Miami or Minnesota is going to be a shootout. It absolutely is. And you're going to have to show that you can go along with that shootout with them. I mean, Justin Jefferson, he's going to look like Randy Moss. And this is going to be the real issue is that also now, like, that's what's scary me about this Brian Burns contract is that they're going to not do anything in free agency to try to, you know, amend some of these issues because we can't sign him because we have to figure out what we're doing with Brian Burns and it's going to push everything behind.
where you're not going to deal with any of these other problems because you're still having this giant looming weight over you of the money that he is very well due. But that's where, like, again, this Minnesota game comes like, all right, it's going to show, do we have actually a reason to play this season? Or at this point, like y'all been saying, sit Bryce. I mean, you talked about it off off chat about sitting Bryce the whole year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the things you have to truly consider. I mean, the offensive line is not going to be any better to this point if you're already done with a guy that, 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 that got hurt because he was having to run. He got hurt having to try to make plays because there's nothing to opening up down the field. Again, it's still things that he has to learn because I think we did see in this game that there's there's still Bryce Young is still a little ways away because there's things he's got to see and got to feel more as more as the starter that that that, that, that keep him out of harm's way. But I mean, you seriously have to consider, like, bro, like maybe you just let Andy just take the shots for you this year, bro, and just yeah. in hopes that you can grab some more talent off season, uh, possibly pick up some draft capital through, via, via trades, and hopefully build this thing up the right way the next time around. Let me comment on that real quick, Shantice. You know, I like I, I thought about that whole Bryce Young sitting the rest of the year too. I think that that's something that we should consider. Um, I think playing behind that line, it is a liability for him and, and the longevity of his season. Um, a bigger part to that, though, too, is from a perspective of coaching, I know Reich always says we're going to own our mistakes. Well, he needs to own the mistake that he's not calling a good game. He's not. Um, I think you made a great point in the beginning of the, se- of the segment, Jack, that, you know, you don't know what it is about the first quarter. I don't know what it is about the first drive. Our first drive has looked the same since preseason. Every team knows it, they plan for it, and we still run it. And we run it to no avail. There's always a threat. I don't even think we've had a series this season where we started and we didn't go three and out the first series. I need to fact check that. I need um, to fact check that. I think now, I, I will say it, because we didn't go out three and out the first drive this week. We went downfield, but then settled for a field goal. And okay. we've done that. Right, so I didn't, I didn't catch the first half. So that's, and that's we've done that multiple times. That's been the, that's the aggravating part, right? Is that the first drive actually does sustain some life and has crossed the 50 multiple times. But then once they get it's that, you know, the, the dead man, the no man's land of 45 to 25 that we can't get anything done and end up having to kick, making Panera look like, you know, an all pro kicker to where we're, you know, expecting a 55 yarder from him, uh, you know, to, to put us in a, a, a good spot. I think, though, what you're talking about, though, I mean, sitting Bryce, Ooh, I like for the future of the franchise. If he's your guy, yeah, I think that that has to be something that's greatly considered. I mean, I was a proponent of letting Andy start the season, just knowing how aggressive this first four games was going to be. We talked about it, you know, Atlanta on the road, New Orleans on a Monday night, then you have Seattle, and then you have Minnesota, and then that's not even touching on Detroit and Seattle. Like I was saying, like, yeah, maybe he should wait a little bit, like. We don't have to, especially once we got Andy. I'm like, all right, that has to be one of the reasons why you got him, not just as a backup, just in case. He's still a viable player. He absolutely is. And, I mean, he's done this everywhere he's gone. He has played a good half of the season for every, if not more, for every single team he's been on since Cincinnati. He did it in Dallas. He did it in Atlanta. He did it in New Orleans. Like, he's done it multiple times. And I think that it's something that you do need to consider. But... The problem is, and again for Fitterer, if this season ends and Bryce Young played 20% of the year and CJ Stroud continues to put up the box score numbers that he is, I'm not saying they're top-tier plays, but the, like you said, the narrative is being created. And then you have to trade away Brian Burns just to get some sort of semblance of of a future. I mean, that 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 is it for Fitterer. I, I do not see a scenario in which he comes out alive. Yeah, and I think, too, you talked about the Bryce Young. Yeah, you, you talked about the Bryce Young play, though. Another thing I noticed for him, it looks like he's, I think they're telling him, you got to go through your progressions before you run or before you make that executive decision. It looks like he's thinking too much oh, he back there to me. They have to let him play ball, period. If you drafted him for what he is, yes, you can protect him. Yes, you can teach him the methodics and the schemes behind it. But let the man play ball. Let him play the game that he knows how to play. Otherwise, you're going to continue to have this learning curve that, honestly and truthfully, Cam didn't have that learning curve because you let Cam play. Yeah. Right? Now, to the detriment, Cam never evolved from that play. But I think Bryce would evolve from that play, but you got to let the man spin the way he spins. Period. Well, I would argue they did try to bottleneck Cam 
towards that third or fourth year, they tried to make him more of that pocket passer. Oh, sure. And that was where you saw some of his decline. But no, we talked about that last week. You know, that this issue of these rookie quarterbacks, these college quarterbacks that go and play at these big programs and they can just, it's backyard football. And then you try and make them play organized, you know, like strategic football. He is holding onto the ball too long. He Mm -hmm. is, and the receivers he's throwing to are not, they are not getting out of their breaks fast enough for him to be able to read all his progressions. Like he's reading one progression, hasn't even made the turn yet. He goes to the next progression, he's still waiting to turn around on the hitch. You go to the next progression, he's not even out past the defensive end yet. So like where in Alabama, he could throw it, damn near blind and it was going where it needed to go so i agree with you i think that alongside of what we talked about about the issue of potentially there being too many cooks in the kitchen too many you know mm-hmm. uh you know many ladles in the pot that are are stirring things up and causing these discrepancies i think that is an issue so he did seem to you know i'm hoping he got a lot of you know mental reps obviously with seattle and i think that you know minnesota is another one of them where like you don't need to play him like you, you really don't need to play him against minnesota and Maybe, maybe Miami, maybe ish. Oh no, I'm not playing them against Miami either. I'm not, I'm not putting I'm them not in with a Jack. Stop, Jack. Stop. Look at I'm not doing that. Look at I just I I mean, if you're gonna play him at some point, I don't. I'll see Detroit. I don't want to play him. I don't want to play him in any of these in any of these three. But well, none of these games look like you want to play him. Honestly, if I, if I just keep going down the schedule, I'm like after the bye week, one in that one. But do you want to really put him in that narrative of then having to? He hasn't played in three in a, in a month, over a month. Then his first game back after a bye is up against the number two pick. Like, the narrative's already bad enough in that regard. So, I'm not sure if I want him going in gunshot. In I mean, obviously, it's the best game in terms of the matchup he's going up against. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be the easiest for him to be. I don't think he'd be gunshot. I don't think he'd be gunshot. I think, if anything, he would He would be. If you sit him up until after the bye week, I think he's going to be so rambunctious he won't be gunshot. As long as you let him. Let him loose and let him ball. I think you show you would see what kind of mentality he has about him. We've seen him as this calm, cool, collected guy, but we've also seen him slip a little bit in these last few weeks in terms of his mentality. You've seen kind of the desperation, the aggression, you know, the aggravation come through. So that would be my only concern: is what does that do to his mentality? Keeping a guy. I mean, these these players don't like not playing for any reason whatsoever, and especially if it is this one of like you know. non-injuries not a healthy scratch but like oh yeah it looked bad and it looked like so let's you know let's keep him off for a little while um i just wonder what that does for his mentality but all right wrapping up keys for minnesota before we head out of here what do you think is going to be kind of the deciding factor for a win here shanties i think how fast you start out on, on, on the offensive end of the ball brian flores is not not a dc in minnesota has not done a great job with that group so far so it'll be a situation much like last week where you're going to be playing against a defense that you that, that can be had um can you establish the ground game i think that's the best thing you can do for this offensive line you saw how bad they struggle with pass protection you saw how bad they struggle with, with just the mental errors in general with the false starts you're back at home try to play to what you're try to try to play to your guys strengths and that's going to be grind it's going to be grind and pound so I'm going to need to see a lot of Chuba Hubbard. I'm going to need to see a lot of Miles Sanders. I'm going to, I, I think we need to see a lot more LaVisca Chenault just on the field in general to the point where it does create a, a, a chess match with, with, the, with the DC about how he has to go about make, calling his defense. Do you have to worry about the run? Do you have to worry about the play action pass? Do we have to worry about, you know, these drag routes over the middle with another guy that could possibly create se- separation? Um, I think Carolina's going to have to do just have to do a lot more of just making your guys comfortable. I think the ground game is the easiest way to get Zavala and Icky both going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's firepower and consistency, right? To your point, Shanti's on all points, I agree. It's really coming out, punching them in the mouth, coming out with something different. You know, come out and come out and go deep first. Come out and do a LaVisca Chenault roundabout. Do something else other than what we've done. One game has got to be integral in this piece. We got to, we got to try to shove it down their throat. And then defensive side of the ball, I'm going to say it again, don't give up that deep ball. Watch out for the double moves. Let's try to clamp them down because Justin Jefferson will eat your lunch if you let him get hot early. Um, that's going to be a serious problem, and they're going to have they're going to have their work cut out for them. And of course, you already know on the, at, at the tight end, you know um, it's going to be it's going to be some issues going on there too. So it's going to be real interesting to see how this all all plays out. That's what I'm looking for is consistency there. The firepower. I mean, I think these scripts are starting to write themselves. This Minnesota offense is almost carbon copy of what you'd see in New Orleans. You've got a game managing quarterback who can pick you apart when he has the time to do so. You've got 
multiple wide receivers in Jefferson and KJ Osborne Addison and, and Addison too that can easily make the presence known amongst these receivers especially late in the game and then your rushing attack as well I mean I guarantee you this is going to be the week that everyone wished they had picked up Alexander Madison and, and played him on fantasy because he's going to put up those he's going to get I'll give him at least two or three and and I think that you can see him putting up those numbers and their defense still you know it's going to be enough to get after him you know, I think it's going to show we should have tried to ever, whatever we could to get Daniel Hunter. We should have tried to do whatever we could to have getting him, especially in this regard. I think that you could see a very, like I said, New Orleans-like game where now it's, it'll be interesting to see if it's Andy Dalton playing instead of Bryce Young, if that makes things a little bit different. You know, I think that both teams take a little bit while to get going, so I think it's going to be a very quiet first half like that New Orleans game was. But it will be interesting to see how Andy's presence does or does not change things i think that that you know is is a benefit of why he was running with the ones you know for the two or three days that he was mm -hmm. but it'll be interesting to see how that has an effect um so i think for me it's really just going to be about playing a full game like just we have not played a full four quarters of football since the preseason really i mean and whether that's as a team in this regime, in this in this regime, I'm not. We're, I'm putting that behind me, all right. In this regime, and that not only from a, a team standpoint, but from a player standpoint too. Like I, we, whoever the guys that are either, either, like, and if you're questionable, stay off the field. If you're like, I we don't need you this game. If there's any game that we don't need you, anybody else, you know, outside of maybe Xavier Woods, stay off the field because that does nothing for you. Like, cause clearly, just that like first half is not enough of a push to carry you through to the to win the game. You're not gonna get enough points. So for guys like you know, for Frankie or for Mingo, like don't risk further injury just to go in and put up ten points in the first half. Like I, I don't want to see it. Like I I, I don't. It, it doesn't need to happen. So I think that that's what we're looking for. You know, another game back at home. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the crowd is like for a non prime time. You know a non but still division you know or you know, a division game so it'll be interesting to see how that goes about um and there'll definitely be a lot of purple i think but of course until then gotta keep waiting and keep pounding